Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast. We are in the study titled Compassion in the Belly of the Fish. I think this is part four. I lose track because, man, all this stuff is just so divided. Like I'm always saying, we're not the most professional here. So you know what? Whether it's part four or part 100, it doesn't much matter, does it? The content hopefully speaks enough for itself. Listen, I told you at the end of the last part that this is my favorite piece of this entire study. Chapter 4 is incredible. I would encourage you to set up camp at chapter 4 of Jonah and just say and read it and read it and read it. Do word studies. I'm, I'm going to give you just little pieces of it. Man, it's, it's, there's so much more here. But what I just talked about that I do think needs reiterating, please don't start right here. you got to watch the, free, the previous um, episodes. But we talked about why would God cause a plant to grow up over Jonah in order to give him shade when he's already built a sukkah, a booth, a shelter to provide himself shade. Well, I talked about how, very simply put, I think this is just a, a simple spiritual metaphor of saying, you know what? You can build yourself whatever you want, but you're not going to get your provision and your safety and your needed Everything that you need is not going to come from your own efforts, from your own endeavors, from your old erecting of your own shelter and abode. It's not. It's, it's found only in the shadow of the Almighty. We, we see that through the scriptures. We know that's a pattern. Um, I mentioned how it stood out to me when I did this study that the only time we see Jonah happy anywhere in this book, you have this miserable man. I mean miserable as, we, as you get to chapter 4, all he's doing, he is obsessed with saying, either calling down judgment upon everyone else or wishing death upon himself to escape and somehow just be removed from the whole scenario. He's a pathetic example. I'm just saying. He is obsessed with the judgment of God falling on the men who don't deserve it, and he just wants out. We need to really... Put this on ourselves and say, God, is there anything in me? And I'm not getting hyper-spiritual, but like the spirit of Jonah, the, the, the mentality of Jonah. God, is it in my life? And if so, please reveal it and let me get it out. We should not have these attributes. This is clear in this text. I believe it's why it's been preserved to us today. Especially right here in the, in the age 2020, when as I'm saying, and I need to keep making clear because that's why I'm recording this, is the church is gleefully heaping judgment upon the world. Vile, 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 lawless, 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 wrath of God, wrath of God, come. And I think we read this text and we say, we have to say, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have received your mercy would you extend your mercy out to these people? Why? These people today. Why? So that like chapter 3, verse 9, they can say, who knows? Maybe God will turn his anger away from us and forgive us of our sin. And then what? Verse 10, he does. Because that's what he does, friend. And that's what he's wanting to do today on the earth. The same earth that is his footstool is still here in this age of mercy and compassion, post-Messiah, pre-everything else that's ahead of us, compassion, mercy, repentance, 
Come to me, come to me, come to me. That is the gospel of this hour that we still yet live in. Friend, don't be in such a hurry to rush in and, and find all the plagues and apocalypse of Revelation. Why in the world is the church so stoked about the judgment of God hurrying and cleansing the world of all the idolaters? I don't understand. I literally, I just want to stand here like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I want to be a part of a people who follow in the pattern of Messiah and says, you know what? They know not what they do, God. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, yes, they do. Vile, evil, wretched, idolatry. See, that's what the church desires to say. A lot of the church wants to talk like that. I hear it every day my ears are on. They need to get what they deserve. And I keep saying, and then we're going to move on. I know I'm saying this every episode. What about you? Then what about us? Where do we fall? Why do we get God's mercy and they don't? Apart from him, apart from his goodness, y'all, we're all the same. We're all in a ship destined to go out and to be destroyed. All of us. So we're in chapter 4. These words, man, y'all listen. The sukkah stuff, there's so much more within that. He erects his own sukkah. God provides the gourd plant to come and overshadow him and bring him comfort. He relieves his discomfort is what the text says. Jonah is satisfied. He's actually happy when he's under what? Under the shadow of the Almighty. There's so many things when you look at all the texts and the use, the usage of that word specifically of shade. The shade, the shelter, the comfort, the provision, the safety, the deliverance under the shadow of the Almighty. We're going to get, let me just get to that now. The shadow is sail, T-S-E-L. It's a Hebrew word that basically means exactly what it says. Protection, provision, and safety. The cell, the sail of Yahweh God. This, when this came through, in Jonah's case, through a natural plant growing over his head and doing what his own work of his own hands could not do or provide for him, he was under a... a a right protection, provision, and safety, a sail, shadow, defense. And only when that was there was he in that place. And only in that place did he find any, any comfort. It's the same for you and me. And this is where it like just floored me, right? This is so awesome. Again, man, if we only studied the word, if I myself didn't, I wish I, I don't wish, I, I, it's all up to me. I need to study more than I do. I need to give myself hours and hours and hours and hours and hours more than I already presently do. Because of stuff like this right here. Okay. Because I mentioned how God sends... What is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's a certain word. I don't want to leave it out. It's very important. He sends. He commissions. Doggone it. Where is it? I don't know. Appointed. We're going to talk about that much more later. But God appointed three things right here at the beginning of this part of chapter 4. 
and throughout this text as a whole. But he appoints this plant to come. And then he appoints next, following the plant, he appoints a worm. Okay, well, big deal. What, how in the world can you get anything significant out of a worm? It's not hard. <laughs> the worm in Jonah chapter 4 is known to be a scarlet, crimson worm. And when you look at the, when you, when you pick out this, this worm, which is tola, you can find this tola in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Though your sins be red like tola, they shall be white like wool. It's in several different places. I'm just picking one for the sake of time. Okay, so God sends a plant that provides a shadow, a sail, protection, provision, safety. And then in the morning, God then appoints, sends a scarlet crimson worm. That is interestingly synonymous with text like I just read in Isaiah that is referencing red, scarlet, crimson, worm, your, a.k.a. your sins. The same verbiage, the exact same word used to describe in Isaiah, your sins, red like tola, shall be white, cleansed like wool. So this is a, something I'd like to propose as a thought. Can we say that in any way the worm represents Jonah's sin and rebellion? Using scripture alone, not just mere metaphorical idea. This word tola colored the curtains of the temple. Tola was found in the clothing of the priests. There's a lot of spiritual patterns. The scarlet worm in Jonah chapter 4 devours the safety and provision of God. The scarlet worm, the tolah, it devours the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 22. Psalm of David that Yeshua quotes. Why have you forsaken me? We know Yeshua cried that out. I'm but a tola and not a man. Okay, so so again, let's let's follow this through. This is why this is why Bible study matters, friends. This is why you can't just read this and just imagine a plant and a worm crawling on it, eating it, and it's gone. Oh man, that must stink. Next. The scarlet crimson worm. That is like sin. That is what we see with Yeshua crying out that he is but a, a worm, a tola, and not merely a man. When, what, what was going on when he cried out saying that, friends? He was taking on the sin of humanity. These, these connections have got to be made for us. So again, and why? Well, why? Okay, let's just not get so deep down here that we lose why we're even talking about this. I said at the very beginning, at the outset of this study, we've got to look at ourselves as any way Jonah-esque. 
in any ways do we have that spirit that drove Jonah and rebellion and hard-heartedness in us. Church, So Jonah builds a shelter, a booth, a sukkah. However, the shadow from the shelter that he built with his own hands is insufficient. His shelter was not enough, so God sent another in the plant. And then Jonah was delivered. From what? We'll get to that in just a second. But his own building of his sukkah for shade was not enough, so God sends him sufficient shadow and then removes it. Why would he do that? To clearly prove a point to Jonah as well as to you and to me today right now. Our sins ruin, devour the safety and deliverance of the Father. It's God's desire for us to be under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. And only there will we find happiness, joy, peace, rest, comfort, safety, provision. Just like these words mean in the Hebrew. Our crimson scarlet worm, our sin, our depravity, our pride, our arrogance. Church, your arrogance and pride is devouring the safety of God the Father. Our own shelter and safety are of no good whatsoever. Our attempts to erect our own safety and provision are no good, insufficient. And even more so, when like Jonah, we sit there in a chair, man, we pull up a beach chair, we sit down under something God himself has provided for us and his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy. And we're sitting under it in condemnation and judgment, hoping that his wrath falls upon the people that are before us. Friends, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what this is saying? Chapter 4, verse 6, discomfort is way too misleading. I don't know what your version says. Hopefully it says something better than the main version I normally use for study. The Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Oh, well, he's trying to make Jonah just feel a little bit better. No, 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 no. This word shouldn't even be in there. Properly translated, it's evil and wickedness. <laughs> Why does my Bible say discomfort? Evil, wickedness. So, the shadow that the plant provided, the cell, It alone provided Jonah what he needed. And Jonah, in his arrogance and pride, basked in the mercy and goodness and kindness of God and only used it as a, as a, as a venue to stare upon 
people that he said were unworthy of anything good, hoping the judgment of God would come on them. So metaphorically, in summary of this little snippet here, as I see it, the scarlet worm of self and sin devoured the shade and deliverance and safety that was meant to deliver and rescue Jonah from his evil, wicked condition. Because again, my version says discomfort, which is totally not accurate. It was sent to deliver him from his own depravity. His. He's seated in a chair of judgment, in his own sukkah, his own tent, in shade that could not provide any comfort for him or any deliverance of his own wicked ways. In a chair of judgment, he's gazing down upon the people of Nineveh in his arrogance and pride, hoping they get laid low. Friends, I'm telling you with all seriousness and soberness, I feel the word of the Lord is saying, Church, American Christianity, this is you. This is you, church. Get out of the chair. Burn up the sukkah that you've built. Get under the shadow of the Almighty and repent. Get on the floor in ashes. Cover yourself. Cover your children in sackcloth. Repent from your ways. Turn. You turned. You turn, church. You turn. Stop sitting there in arrogance and pride and pointing your finger at all of the lawless ones. I know they're lawless. I believe the Lord would say clearly, look, I know they're lawless. Do you think I don't see? I'm looking at you, church. I'm looking at you. Anything good you have is from my hand. Anything good that you have is from my hand, church. Show mercy. Show compassion. I believe that's what God is saying. I know it. I know it as sure as I'm standing here. Yahweh asked Jonah if he has good reason to be angry at these events. A quick word study of this says, Is this pleasing to you, Jonah? That's what Yahweh was saying. If we're talking true casual conversation based upon the Hebrew text, Yahweh God speaks to the prophet, which again is incredible that he's still having any dialogue with him whatsoever. That's why there's hope for you and me. And he asked Jonah, Is this pleasing to you, Jonah, to be angry? Is it desirable? And again, let's look at the words. You take these words and you extract out the full meaning. Is it desirable to you to be furiously kindled, kindled with vexation? That's what that means. So church, does it please you to condemn? Does it please you to condemn? Is it desirable to you to be furiously kindled with vexation about your life and what you see about you not being the way you think it should be towards these people? What of this generation in which we now live? What of their rebellion and their idolatrous ways? Are they too far? Are we? Let's learn from what ends this account of Jonah and Nineveh. 
and begin to bring this study to a conclusion. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Yahweh responds to Jonah. Y'all listen to this, please. Listen to this through the lens of 2020 and all the absolute ridiculous chaos that's on most every street in every city of this nation for sure and pretty much across the globe. Yahweh God says, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand? The people of Nineveh, a rebellious, violent people with a horrible history, horrible, wiped out many of God's chosen people violently, they lacked discernment, they lacked understanding, and because of all those things, Yahweh desired to show them compassion. The scripture tells us, now listen to what I'm saying, please. If I have, if I have happened by any case to lose you, please listen to this. In light of today, and please put this into your thinking. Oh God, if this is true, put it into the thinking of your people. As we assess this generation that we're in, that we've been sent to. The scripture tells us that these people of Nineveh were literally incapable of making right moral decisions. Incapable. They couldn't do it. I was, I was, I, when I wrote that down, I thought of what Yeshua said, man. Forgive them, God. Father, forgive these people. They have no idea what they're doing. And somebody could get all serious and like super theological, well, what that really meant. But listen, what does this say? What does this say? They don't even know the difference between the right and left hand. So let's be honest. Jonah had endless selfishness. And I think he is a mirror of the modern day church. He was always wishing for escape for himself instead of seeing others repent and change. He wanted out and he wanted all of them to get judgment. So let's be honest. Jonah wanted death and deliverance for himself and judgment completely devoid of of, of mercy for the people of Nineveh. He wanted relief for himself and judgment for everybody else. Matthew 12, 39. Yeshua talks about this account in Jonah. So, he's talking about the men of Nineveh judging and condemning a generation. Why? They repented, the men of Nineveh. They repented. I often like bringing up to the judgmental, harsh church that wants to destroy everyone. Hey, do you know about the scriptures that talk about it's going to be worse for many people in the church than for those who were in Sodom and Gomorrah? Worse. Matthew 
Yeshua calls the Pharisaical teachers as they ask for another miraculous sign again. He says, you wicked and adulterous people. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they turned for their, from their sins to God when Jonah preached. But what is here now is greater than Jonah. So he's saying, look, people back then turned when they heard the word of the Lord. You're even worse because your whitewashed tomb standing up with your long tassels and your, your, your strong prayers before everyone boasting about your relationship with Yahweh God. And guess what? You don't even know him, and it's even worse because I'm here and I'm greater than Jonah who they received. You don't even receive me, the Son of God. Harsh, harsh. If there's judgment, it's towards the house of God, y'all. Why does the Bible say that where judgment begins? It has to begin here. It has to begin here. If it doesn't begin here, it will never go there. It will never go there. It is a biblical pattern. The people of God turn, repent from their wicked ways, and then they have a what? A living testimony. Yeshua regenerated me and gave me life that I did not deserve. I am a living demonstration of the mercy of God. And we'll let this go a few minutes long. Then we're going to finish just in this part. Notably, in this specifically, the evil, violent men of Nineveh are received in their repentance. And Jonah is left receiving even more and more and more correction from Yahweh. Also, remember the sailors back where we started in chapter 1. The sailors... They're probably, at this point, they're already walking out their lives deemed righteous. Remember? They believed. The people of Nineveh believed. The prophet of God is continuing to be reprimanded again and again and again in his arrogance and in his pride. Why? Obsessed with the lawless ones. Gotta get the lawless ones, God. Stop looking at me, Yahweh. Get them. You know what God's saying? This is all about you, Jonah. So ask yourself, are you in any way likewise displeased with God's compassion towards others that you are fully convinced deserve his judgment and his wrath? What about you? What about us, church? Are you above his correction? Were you born into God's favor? How did you get to where you are if you are in fact in Christ Messiah? How did you get God's favor and forgiveness and mercy? You. How did you get it? In your mind, are your personal convictions and desires being threatened? Because that's what happened to Jonah. Offense. Which, like Jonah, incited misery. Why? Because you want to see God rain down fire on the evil, deserving men. People right now in the church are so, uh, many people, millions, in turmoil over justice being executed on this generation. Oh God, bring your justice, bring your justice, bring, 
I'm just telling, all I'm saying, I'm not getting into the right or wrong business. I'm just saying, be careful. Oh, be careful, church. Be careful throwing these words around. Because are you praying that you receive the same amount of judgment in the same measure, the same dose? Let's bring this to a close. I'm going to be blunt at the very end. You may say, man, haven't you already been a little bit blunt, Joel? People of God, stop erecting your own self-righteous tent. Stop pulling up a chair and demanding judgment comes to this generation while you bask in the, sh the sweet shade of the Creator that He built for you in His compassion and in His goodness. It is a supernatural gift from Him just like that plant that grew over Jonah. This is about us, church. This text, this age is about us. We need to cry out for the mercy and kindness of God to fall on this generation. And those that will follow, should there be more. What if they repent? What if they turn? What if they cry out and say, who knows God may turn and relent and leave us and not bring wrath upon us and cause us to perish? And let me ask you this. Do you want this, this this turning, this repentance for the lost, for the wayward, to the lawless loser of a person that all the news programming just crams into your mind, man. All the church people that say, brainwashing, watch out, brainwashing. Watch out for brainwashing. You got to get woke. Listen, friends, you know who's brainwashed? People who sit and eat and digest all this stinking news media all the time. If you don't want deception then turn that garbage off. But what do they say? This is truth, this is truth, and you just pick whatever flow you want to jump in. You jump in that stream and you just soak up whatever you're told. That's what the majority of, of mankind does, you know? Well, they're deceived right there. They want a vaccine. Well, guess what? You're deceived because all you're doing is listening to the people telling you who's deceived over here. There's deception in every last one of us. Which is why we need the Spirit of the Lord to be our sole source. To be our teacher in all things. Do you want repentance for these people? As bad as you want God's judgment. For the lawless ones. Are you prophesying life in redemption? Are you hoping that their being overthrown will lead them to repentance? Or are you like Jonah? Sitting back, get them, God. Get them. Get them all. While you sit in his shade in goodness. Again, if God's arm is too short for them, it's too short for me. It's too short for you, friend. We know of all the endless biblical examples of God swiftly executing justice towards evil men and I'm so tired of hearing about all of that because men find satisfaction in talking about reasons to justify justice and wrath. But you know what it takes? It takes the spirit of the Messiah in a man to say, you know what? Have mercy, God. 
have mercy, have mercy. They don't know their left hand from their right. They're ignorant, they're foolish, they're deceived. They're in darkness, so God set them free. Why? That's what you did for me. That's what you did for me. That's who I was. I remember. Why is the church so obsessed with blasting the obvious fact that this generation is lawless and godless instead of spending, spending hours of time and energy crying out for his mercy towards these people? This text specifically, and we're going to bring this whole thing to a close. God appoints a fish. He appoints a plant. He appoints a worm. He appoints a scorching wind, which we didn't even get to. He, oh, newsflash, Yahweh God is in absolute control. He will show mercy on whom he chooses. And we must side with mercy. We need to cry out for it to be poured out on our generation. The spirit of Jonah, that that unction that Jonah operated in, which is really just pride, and, and we know simply from text, God opposes, he vehemently opposes the proud. This same spirit is what killed Yeshua. Had him killed. He laid down his life. Because his kingly redemption plan looked nothing like what they wanted. Jonah despised Yahweh's kindness because it wasn't what he thought was best. He knew better. Don't do it, church. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't fall into the, the trap that you know better and that you are somehow in this place of self-deification where you know God's ways and you just tell everybody how it's going to play out. You know God. It's a deception, it's a device of the enemy, and I see it just creeping up right alongside, interestingly enough, all the rebellion and voices of the world that are saying, we need herd. And the church says, oh yeah? Uh, oh wait, no, we need herd. We need herd. You know what needs herd? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, Period. Not your opinion, surely not your political party's view and vantage point. It's that big, people. It's this big. <laughs> the word of the Lord, the oracles of God, the oracles of God being spoken by his people. We ourselves have been shown compassion in the belly of the fish. I'm a living example of somebody who deserved God's wrath. I deserved death. But he showed me mercy. He showed me compassion. He showed me patience for years and years and years and endless, endless pursuit of me. Why? Because I kept his laws? No way. Because I was really good deep down inside? No. I was a vile enemy of God. Why? Because he's good. Because he's abounding in mercy. Because he desires none to perish, friend. So what about us, church? Where will we go from here? I, I, am, I am convinced if the church read Jonah and saw 
the pattern within it and went out and changed our ways, I'm, I'm serious now. I think though the entire world could change. I think the entire world could change. I mean, just ask yourself, is the current posture of the modern day church working as a whole? Their arrogance, their pride, their finger pointing, their labeling, their hating. Is it working? Is it bringing people into the church? Or is it driving them further and further out and giving them endless reasons on top of endless reasons they already had to say, you know what? I've already got that. Thanks for arguing with me for an hour. Thanks for holding your picket sign across the street from my picket sign and yelling at me and probably even cursing at me because, hey, guess what? We're cool. That's what we're doing too. I'm telling you, the church is going to be marked in, in, in days, weeks, months, years to come. I don't know about years. I don't know if we're going to get that far in this present context. So church, who will we be? Man, don't, I'm telling you, that imagery of just sitting in the sukkah, basking in the goodness and provision and safety, the shadow of the wing of the Almighty, with our arms crossed, looking down on the hopeful destruction of the evil lawless ones, man, that's got to settle deep in us. That's got to go deep down within us, church. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be it. To the best of my ability, God help me, I'm going to be going to Nineveh and saying, man, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Why? Because I used to be full of idols. Because I used to be an enemy of God. I hated him. My life was a complete lawless one opposing him in pride and arrogance. But friend, guess what? Through Yeshua Messiah, I have been reborn. I'm in the likeness of the Son. I myself am becoming the image of the invisible, regenerated Christ man in the bloodline of last Adam, no longer first Adam, sin, shame, hiding myself from the presence of the Lord. And guess what? That can be you. You're just mad, friend. You're ticked off. You're deceived. You're in darkness. You're in the dominion of darkness. But guess what? So was I. Come into the kingdom of light. How? Like the people of Nineveh. Hear the word of the Lord. Believe, believe, counted righteous, redeemed, purchased, changed. Let's be expectant, church. Help me, please. I'm not going to do it by myself. There's going to be thousands of us, maybe millions. Nah, I don't know. It's a narrow, man, it's getting narrow, narrower every day. But let's set our minds, our hearts, our everything to not be an emotion-driven people responding like everybody else with, I have something to say. Let's be a heart-moved people in the heart of God, like a, a spirit of Christ saying, you know what? They don't know their left hand from the right. Compassion first. Mercy first. First, mercy, compassion so that we can be a light to a generation that's just like, it's dark. It's not too dark. It's not too dark. There is compassion in the belly of the fish. Amen.